The following podcast contains adult language and situations. It is not suitable for younger or more sensitive listeners. Electrocast. So, you know, the next step from Juilliard is always prostitution because, you know, that's a great, a great training <laughs> ground for that. You know? That leads me to ask, how did you get into this line of work? I know. Well, it's partially Juilliard. No, it, not really. Hi, you're listening to Bodacious Minds, the show that empowers you in every way, from the personal to the professional, from the bedroom to the boardroom. Nothing is off limits. We talk about sex, relationships, money, spirituality, entrepreneurship, health, wellness, and yes, more sex. I'm your host, Yvette Lopez, a former Playboy, Maxim, and FHM model who is also a singer, compassionate healer, certified in energy work, and an entrepreneur in wellness and fashion. Welcome to our show. I think it would be great if you told our audience a little bit more about yourself. I mean, how did you become you? How did I become me? Well, there's so many reasons. I'm from Santa Fe, New Mexico, born and raised. And my mother raised me as a single parent, but I had eight grandmothers alive, Sasha. Eight grandmothers. My great, 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 great grandmother on both sides. Oh my gosh. Sides of the family were alive and then all the way down. And actually, I just buried one of my grandmothers in December and I have one left. So I was taught to love and be strong. And my grandmothers were very talk about empowering. My grandpas went to work. My grandmothers stayed home and baked pies all day long. And my other grandma owned a beauty salon and they would all go get pampered all day long. Most of my grandmothers, you know, that weren't 102, uh, would get together and once a week and get pampered and nails done and hair done. And so they taught me to be a beauty queen. (laughs) So I grew up in my grandmother's beauty salon, always getting my hair done. Oh yeah. You know, learning to be always well-dressed, and to be in charge. My grandmothers were always in charge. I want to add to what you just said, that it's an old-school Latina thing to be all made up and to make sure you look good. Oh, yeah. My grandmother tells me now when she we FaceTime, she's 87. She tells me, go put on some makeup. Your husband can't see you that way. Like, <laughs> she'll tell me, comb your hair. I totally believe it. Yeah, it's always be clean, be pretty, and be the queen of your home yes. is, how, is what I was taught by my grandmothers. Oh. Um, moved out at the age of 16 to Las Vegas, Nevada, and lived with my Jewish auntie there, and she taught me how to get into the entertainment business. She had two daughters who were identical twins, and they were in Playboy, and they were singers and she told me I should do the same thing. I had no fucking clue what she was talking about. I'm like, me, model? Sure. I had done some nude modeling when I was younger. Well, younger, I was 16. I think I was 16 when I did the nude modeling. My mom had signed a release to allow it to happen for Greg Gorman. But it was scary. I'm on my own, you know, and didn't know what I was going to do. Dropped out of high school uh, and had no fucking clue what I was going to do. All I knew is I was not going to get pregnant at 16, like most of my friends and be alone and be a single mom. So moving to Nevada was the best decision I ever made. It, um, it really opened my world to some great things, playboy, you know, and just meeting people in the casino business and learning how to be a lady, a woman at such a young age, not really getting to be a teenager 
I, I guess I was a crazy teenager at some point, but I had to grow up pretty quickly. Very cool. And how about you, Miss Thing? I, you're not, you know, you represent us Latinas very well. Yeah. You're a mind coach, you know, you're a single mom and you just, you're killing it at everything you do. Hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I am a mind coach. And, uh, you know, I practice a combination of hypnotherapy and life coaching. I've now been doing this for over 10 years. And the reason why I started doing this kind of work was because I experienced severe trauma as a kid. Severe, unusual trauma as a kid. And as a young adult, it came back to haunt me. And hypnotherapy was the one thing that worked for me. And trust me, I tried seeing a psychologist, a psychiatrist. I took the pills, popped the pills, and um, nothing seemed to work. And I was honestly to the point where I was suicidal. I just couldn't take it anymore. It's something I had to that. give. Yeah, you know what that's like. It's like when you're in that dark, yeah. dark place, and you just can't seem mm -hmm. to get out. And so I was so desperate that I went in to see a hypnotherapist. And my God, every time I went in, I got better and better until... Here we are. Along the way, I actually found my own calling. Well, you are good at it. That's why you're my hypnotherapist. That's right. That's how we met. We just connected. We the vibed. funniest thing, when I called you for an appointment, I'll never forget, my husband and I were sitting in the car and I'm like, I need to see somebody. I was, I was about to go on crazy pills myself. <laughs> I called you and you're like, in fact, I have a client who I just got off cocaine. That's right. And I thought to myself, I was like, whoa, don't get a hold of yourself. I like my cocaine problem. <laughs> I just want to forget that I have anxiety, please. <laughs> Don't take anything else away from me right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm happy that you're on the show with me and we get to explore each other's life and show our audience that, you know, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, no matter where you come from, what color you are, what, where, you know, what's happened to you in your life. That's right. You know, I did grow up in a, in a crazy fucked up space after my dad came back into my life. And I honestly didn't know that I was going to make it through any day, you know, so I, I'm happy to have you here and supporting me while we go on this journey together. Yeah. And I think one of the great things about us um, just in general, is that neither one of us is competitive with other women. If anything, we have this attitude of camaraderie, which is yeah. just something that I, I really love that I think we have in common is that we're not uh, judgmental. We're not critical of other women. We're able to see women for who they say they are and just be able to accept people for who they are. And it's all about, you know, making it so that we all rise together. Jealousy is an ugly thing, isn't it? It's so fucked up. I grew up with women always want, fighting all the time because women wanted to beat me up or even in first grade. There was one girl who picked on me from first grade to sixth grade. I think we fought like a thousand times. A jealousy thing. And it's happened my whole life. And I was never raised to want something that didn't belong to me. I, I don't understand jealousy. I just know if I want something... I'm going to go get it. And I, that's how I've lived my life. That's right. What you experience doesn't take from anybody else. Exactly. How I, 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 that part I don't understand. It's like, how do you hate on someone else or disrespect someone else and think that that makes you a better person or make, gives you something beautiful in your life? It doesn't. It makes you ugly and empty. 
right? Totally. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you're listening to Bodacious Minds. Stay put because we'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Sasha Carion with our host, Yvette Lopez. So Yvette, our first guest is a very interesting guest. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, she is the former number one escort in the country, and she's going to be opening up about sex work. Oh my God. Uh, being an escort. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, it's, it's going to reveal some secrets, Sasha. So be prepared. Really? It's like that. <laughs> it's it's one of those. She's giving us a fair warning, guys. So that just tells you, you want to <laughs> stick around. Now, now, for a lot of people, this would be a really taboo topic. But one of the great things that Yvette and I actually have in common is that we are not judgmental and we are not into being critical of other people. We are big on seeing other people for who they are. And we are big on camaraderie when it comes to women. We have, both of us have the idea that we all rise together, right, Yvette? Yes, we do. You know, we are here to help you have a better relationship with yourself, with success, with love and sex, guys. That's right. It's all about empowering each other and, and, and freeing ourselves from shame. Yeah. And learning from each other. Because one of the things that I found is that there's always something to learn from each and every person. I mean, I've had it happen where a person comes in to my office for a session and they share with me this golden nugget of information that makes such a huge difference in the way I see something. And so I really look forward to, to talking with our guest. I agree. It does the same for me. It really uh, allows me to open up and be honest with myself. Yeah. And it's, I, I find it very therapeutic, just like my sessions with you. Yeah. Everyone, Sasha is my hypnotherapist. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, let's go ahead and let's invite Sefi to the call. Hi, Sefi. Hi. Hey, How are you? Hi, you guys. I'm good. How are you? Happy morning. Yes. Happy morning. I love your background. Oh, thank you. I've I know you guys can't see it, but it, the background is her, her beautiful bed. A canopy bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it used to be my working bed. This was like where all the magic happened. You know, it was like my partner in crime. I don't want to say in crime, but it was sort of in crime. It's a stupid crime. It shouldn't be a crime. It's like partner in what shouldn't have been a crime. But yes, this was the bed. Of the magic bed. So if that bed could talk, I could only imagine. Oh my God! I was I was saying to my bed, write the next book because I can't. I'm like, and I'm so stopped up right now. I'm like, can you write it? You've seen it all, darling. And she's like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Well, Sefi, I you know I know Sasha hasn't spoken to you before, but um, Sasha Sefi uh, went to Juilliard. Really? And did you graduate from Juilliard, Sefi? I did, yeah. You did, right? So, you know, the next step from yeah. Juilliard is always prostitution because, you know, that's the great, a great training <laughs> ground for that. You know? That leads me to ask, <laughs> what, how what, did what? you get into this line of work? I know. Well, it's partially Juilliard. No, it, not really. But partially, like, I went for nine years of school. So it was five years of undergrad, four years of grad at Juilliard. And, you know, they do this thing. They give students at like really young ages credit cards, which was, you know, you're like, yeah, 
Okay, money. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, that's how you put yourself through school, too. You work and you pay your credit card. So that and then student loans, which they don't tell you you have to pay off the second you graduate. Like you walk out the door and they're already billing you with that big, thick Bible booklet, you know. So I was sort of stopped. I was like, what am I going to do? I was so stupid, you know, like I think for all those years of school, nobody taught me about money in the practical world. So I was just going to go in for one or two days and see, you know, because I thought, what can I do? I don't know. I'm a terrible waitress. You're talking about you're talking about escorting, going in for one or two. You mean one or two clients? Well, I didn't know. Like I was going to go on an interview, you know, and I thought it was going to be like really dangerous and seedy and like I was going to end up like with a pimp beating me and like a needle in my arm and like on a street corner like oh you know but I went in and it was a really beautiful apartment and a really nice woman I wish it had been Heidi Fleiss but I wasn't in LA I was in New York I'm telling you we'd be millionaires right now you know I I one time not to get too far off the track but I was around during Heidi's time she was just busted sorry but she was just busted and the whole thing about three years into me being in the business and I so wanted to be with her because you know she was the person but I wasn't beautiful enough you know darling so I couldn't really apply for for that job like there's echelons of beauty oh did she have like did she have (laughs) a way to apply well you know not really but you know girls would introduce each other and you know they would say do you know well Heidi wouldn't take you she only takes you know gorgeous models like Yvette (laughs) oh yes (laughs) no tell us a little bit about this yeah (laughs) tell you there's what you guys want me to tell do tell (laughs) darling do tell So she, I didn't know that she had the girls, and you know, Heidi and I have been friends. I don't, I don't know if you know this. Heidi and I have been friends for 20 years and she, she actually has done so much for my life. She's so smart. She was, I think the chess champion player of California for four years in a row. She gave me my first pet hotel, my pet grooming business and hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. So then I I expanded that and turned it into like in-home pet care before in-home pet care was a thing. But she taught me how to manage my women, the girls who work for me. So she taught me how to take 35% of any job I give them and how to handle them, you know, because women are hard. We have our fucking periods. We have our hormones. We have a breakup. We're, We're so fucking confused most of the time. And she's the one that kept my business going for quite some time. Yeah, I guess business so is business to, you know, in the end, right? It's business is business. It's all about, it's all about that money. Um, no, I think you would have done just fine with her. She would have loved you. I know she would have. You're gonna meet her one day. We're gonna hang out. How did you meet her though? Since you weren't in the same age group, and she was already retired probably by then, right? She probably already moved to Vegas then. Well, <laughs> well. Let me think about this. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to do this show so I can speak the truth about my life and not live with the idea of shame with anything that I've ever done. And that's what the show is about, is making sure that we get across to everyone that it's okay to have done things, right? So I guess you guys know where this is going, maybe. <laughs> um, I have done some sex work, yes. It was a big part of my life and my way to survive in the entertainment business. And I was hired to see Steve. 
And Stephen Heidi, who, sorry, it's, I've never told anyone this, so it's a little, bear with me. Steve and Heidi were best friends, been best friends before Heidi even had her business. And um, Steve was in a bedroom with another girl. I showed up. Heidi and I couldn't stop talking. And she was like, let's just hang out. So we just hung out. And then Steve was like, Steve asked me, he goes, you're the type of woman I date. How are you here? That's what, exactly what he told me. And I said, well, I guess that's a good thing, huh? And then us three, the other girl left, us three stayed together for days <laughs> and years. And um, anyway, so yes, I have done sex work and I absolutely loved it. It was the best experience and time of my life. To me, it was a way to release. I used to use other things to release, a lot of getting in trouble. And I found that being able to be someone else and be sexy, be, you know, be treated like a queen was really important. And it really changed my life. I, I have no, uh, nothing bad to say about it besides a lot of heartbreak. But yes, so, you know, I get trying to survive. What the fuck are you going to do? How do I do this? Well, I can suck dick. I thought to myself, <laughs> I have great tits. I was in Playboy. Why not? What more? I mean, it was just like, I fuck for free anyways. You know, it's like, who cares? And I was very fortunate that I got to have some of the best experiences of my life. When I was going to write the book, you know, and there's always this question, you say, why am I writing this? I mean, why? You know, when I came down to it, you know, First, you go through all the serious things like, well, you know, I shall teach people about feminism and I shall, you know, and it's like, shut up. OK, stop it. <laughs> stop, stop, stop. <laughs> but the real reason when I sit down and I write and try to get past those days where it's hard is is because it was one of the best times of my life. So it's like glory days in some ways. And you think what an opposite point of view that the world has. Completely. And yet, and the, yeah. And then what we have. And so I when I said to myself, why do I want to do this? I, it's kind of like I wanted to take people's hands, like my friends, and go, you be my friends and let me take you on a journey to where I got to live in a world that... I get it. You know, right? And so, like, writing the second and third books, I, I'm feeling like, okay, I'm off on a bad tangent of, like, and then, and then in my own life. But I want to... Really, the book is about, let's go into this world that Yvette experienced, that I experienced, that was really... Okay, there were things that there were days you're like, really, seriously, really. But every job has that, you know. And I'd rather have that with a guy and his dick, excuse me, than <laughs> than you know, like in a green. It doesn't talk back. It does. It doesn't talk back. So it was fine. Well, I've known Speaking some of that which, have Steffi, back. Tell us a little bit more about your your profession. Why don't you describe it to us? Tell us a little bit about it. I mean, what does this work entail? Uh, well, you know, I went through several phases of it. So when I first started, I was with an agency, kind of like Heidi was, you know, madam. So with, at that time, which was a long time ago, a long time ago, when the dinosaurs roamed, there were yellow page books. Yes. <laughs> and the books were really thick, and most of it was escort ads. And so that's because the girls couldn't afford to be independent. For me, I know Yvette had a different experience, I think. But anyway, for me, it was with the agencies and you split 50-50 and you had a good person who took care of you, so forth. And then the internet came out and it changed the world and it also changed the business. Because then if you were smart 
and could could be safe and understood how to run your own business, then you could work for yourself. And that changed my life because instead of making half, I made twice as much. And my bed, of course, was my partner. And um, yeah, so, but those days were very different than the escort days with the agencies. What did they charge? What did they take from you? Was it like a specific, was it half? Yeah, it was half, but it was worth it because, you know, she's, she had a, an apartment and an ad and she kept you safe. And so at the time it was like, okay, at the time it was 200 an hour for the girl next door. You know, I was Gwen, the really cute, adorable girl next door. Same mm-hmm. ad, you know, the guy would say, well, no, I want someone who's a model actress. And I'd be Natasha, who was the model actress for 300 an hour. So it'd be 100 for me or 150 for me, you know. So that's kind of at the time what it was. So question for you, when you when you become these two different or five different people, whatever it is, is sex different? Do you no. fuck like you're uh you know, is it the same type of it's just in their mind you know it's like do you because i know when i I, you get drunk event you get you know angry event it just depends so i don't know if everybody else goes through that (laughs) i imagine that it's just the fantasy right i think it's like a a guy goes i want to go on a vacation and so he picks the ritz and the other guy picks the marriott well you're both you're getting a hotel room you know it's just how you're treated i don't know It it was just at that time and then you know of course when we became independent completely different because then I worked out of my apartment and um, and I had control over the whole space and people came to me so I made it like Shirazad, you know uh, Shahrazad you know the whole Arabian nights with curtains and you know you stepped Ooh. in from the outside and it was like a whole different world <laughs> and cam not camera and uh, candles and uh, music and the music was really important because okay I'm gonna really age myself right now but we had you know those CDs. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but <laughs> I still listen to CDs. <laughs> so they had CD players that was like three you could do. And that would really take you through the whole appointment. So I would know. Oh, so you knew by the music that it was your hour was done. Well, yeah. I, well, that's when I worked for myself, things. yeah, it was my way of timing. So yeah. it was like, that's what it, I mean. Yeah. I would do a two hour minimum. So they couldn't come over for less. So it was like two hours from 12 to 2, and then two hours from 4 to 6, and then two hours from 8 to 10 or whatever. So I could fit in three appointments a day with break time. I'd be on my knees staring at the clock. One more second. No, more. no, no. I had help. Very strict on my hour. No, no. I didn't mind that at all. Yeah. When it comes to the appointment times, I imagine that if things only last so long, I mean, I imagine that a big part of the conversation is has to be talking. Yeah, so that you're exactly right, Sasha, because I realized that what men tended to want really, I mean, of course it was about sex, but it was more intimacy, being heard, mm. being listened to, being cared for, mm. and mostly being reflected in somebody else's, you know, a lot of times when we have sex we with somebody new, we want to see how they react to us. You know, we want to see who we are with them. You know, it's kind of a narcissistic kind of thing a little bit. And so it's each, you know, testing the chemistry. So I think they wanted to have a, a mirror, somebody reflecting back to them, their virility, their interestingness, you know. So the first part of it, with these three CDs on, I would always know when it was time to move to the next section. So it was like a play. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Juilliard. Mm-hmm. You know, came in really handy. <laughs> um, but it was like a play in that they would come in and we'd I'd have it 
pretty well scripted. The only thing that wasn't was the other actor, which was the guy, and he would be the improv of it. So they'd be, they'd sit down and we'd have champagne because that's, you could drink champagne all day, by the way, and never get drunk. <laughs> yeah, you can. And so yeah. <laughs> my whole refrigerator was like a case of Veuve Clicquot champagne and Camelite cigarettes, you know, it's like, that's it. Um, <laughs> so, but you know, so we'd have this talking period and sexy talking, you know, and finding out things and there's, you know, like a talk show, like your guys are doing. You're a therapist in your own right. A little bit, except I didn't really let them go down those rabbit holes. You know, it's like, ah, oh, you know, we can't, because it's supposed to be happy and sexy, not like. Oh, got it. I'm going to kill I always myself. had the guys that wanted to talk about their wives. It was always about how miserable they wives? were. Wives? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I never I let just them get to every guy was married. Sorry. No. But it was what it was. I think men do that to justify a little bit why they're, but I don't. I think when they used to do that, I used to say, well, yeah, you know, but have you tried this on her? Have you tried that? You know, because a lot of times they're not taking responsibility for their mm. part of it. I mean, and sometimes mm-hmm. if you're with a guy who's complaining about his wife, you go, oh, I so get why she doesn't want to have sex with you. And actually, she should call <laughs> me and thank me right now. She should be like sending me thank you. Thank you for taking this over because, oh, my God. And I'm just talking about the really horrible ones, you know, but... <laughs> So, <laughs> oh my God, there's a story in your book about the Asian guy with the small penis and the big condom. I couldn't stop. I laughed for days. No. Some of your stories in here are fucking hilarious. Oh, thank and you. because I haven't, I've been out of sex work for a very long time. It just brought up some great memories for me. Really? Yeah. It was like, cause you know, you put that shit out of your mind, like out of your head. You don't want to, you know, we're taught to not. To think that it's bad and be shamed about it yeah. and feel shame of because you did it. You know, I, reading your book really, I, I fell in love with you. And then I thought, I have to sleep with this woman. Like, she can give me some good tips. <laughs> yeah, that's you right. Need to sleep with the number one escort in the country. Yeah, it was crazy. Because I'm not a, you know, there are girls, like that are like Yvette. They're tall, gorgeous. They've been in Playboy. They are models. You know, I'm really short and stubby. And, <laughs> and you know, I'm five foot two. Okay, but you look photogenic. Like, I only look photogenic from like one space, like just this much. And that's it. You're and everything silly. else is no, like, you're a gorgeous oh, woman. man. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, who decides this, this number one escort in the country? Who did, who, who? created this whole thing anyway right that's a really good question so there a long time ago again back when the dinosaurs roamed there was the internet that first came out and on the internet these little groups popped up which now is nothing but at the time one was these guys who all liked to talk about their experiences with escorts right and part of the reason for that wasn't just to brag was to keep them safe and keep them from spending money or ending up in a pimp place or something like that so they would give each other information and they'd say yo i saw sasha and um you know she was safe and uh you know great tits and also you know she says she's going to charge you 300 but she's really going to charge you four and you know they start sharing information Uh right I didn't know much about it because I didn't know that we had a thing called personal computers because I was like, what's that, you know? So anyway, but <laughs> but I had friends who were much smarter and they had personal computers. So anyway, th- this site existed and it was called The Big Doggy, kind of like Yelp, you know, 
but the Yelp of the escort world or something. I didn't know it existed. But one day I saw a guy and his name was Charlie and he stayed over his time, three hours or something. He left at like midnight and I'm walking him to the door and he's like, so you know who I am, don't you? I'm like, yes, you're Charlie. And he's like, no, but you know who I really am, right? I'm like, Charlie. And he's like, no, I'm the big dog. And I'm like, yes, you are. Ruff, ruff. You're a big, big dog. <laughs> he's like, all right, you don't get it. He said, but you will. And I was like, oh, okay, I don't know. So as the weeks went by, I suddenly got super busy. It's like I went from regular to like I was booked a month in advance. And I was like, this is crazy. What is going on? So every time a guy would come see me, I'd say, why did you want to come see me? And most of the guys would say, well, I just wanted to see what number one was like. Or, you know, and I'd be like, he's like, you're number one. I'm like, no, you're, you're number one. No, you're. <laughs> and then it turned out that the big dog was the big doggy. And that's how I found out that I had been with the big doggy who put me onto his list of rankings of girls. And so there was like a list of 100 girls top 100 and I got to be number one for a couple of years and you know how earlier you were talking about jealousy with women I, I don't yes. know if you yeah so I loved our business because it was the one place women took really good care of each other and there wasn't jealousy we were kind of comrades in arms or comrades in bed you know <laughs> kind of thing we, we worked together <laughs> at that point when I became number one this girl who was my bestest working girl for a long time good friend she turned against me. It was very strange. I went out of town and I came back to find out that she told everybody that I was hurting her and that I had done all these things and they were going to take me off the number one list. And yeah, I don't know why she did that. And then we we found out that it was her. Who, Jealousy. Yeah, I guess. I don't I don't know why. It was so weird because she was actually amazing. But so, yeah, being number one changed everything. And then that was real job security, you know, being booked six months in advance, you go, oh, I got work. So, yeah. Now, how how <laughs> yeah. about like non-sexual clients? Do you sometimes have people that just come in because they just need some company? Maybe they're just lonely? Mm, well, not really, because it's everything's predicated on the sexuality. Mm. And But some people you do spend like I've spent a week with and we've had sex you know, once every day, but not very, you know, it's not the biggest part of the being together or like in those two to five hours, you have sex maybe once, but I like to make it all elaborate, you know, so, cause it's, <laughs> because the actual sex part, you know, that actual sex part really should only last a very short time if you're still going to walk and be functional, you know, to it for another client <laughs> later. <laughs> so, so you got to be practical about it. So you got to keep him, you know, it's like having a puppy. You got to keep him entertained so he doesn't chew the sofa. You know what I mean? Oh my God. That's <laughs> hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> so you do the talking and the joking and the laughing and keep them real busy. And then the music changes and it's part two. And you go to the bathroom and, you know, you think you put a little KY just in case, you know. And um, <gasps> and then there's a very elaborate foreplay that goes on for as long as possible, which is really nice for me too. You know, it's like sensual and you get into the music. And then really the sex part doesn't actually last that long unless you really want it to. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, 
a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on ElectroCast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. ElectroCast. Did you find yourself like meeting someone and not wanting that session to end? Have you ever done that? A lot. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. I I had wished sometimes that, yeah, definitely. And I don't know whether, well, you know, because I felt so safe in that world and it was so, it was my domain, you know, it was like mm-hmm. Persephone, oh, Persephone in Hades, you know, it was, I was underground and safe and it's where I controlled things and it's where men treated me beautiful and... um and I really got to know people very quick, men and women. The whole point is intimacy. So they come in to be intimate. So you get the mm-hmm. best part of that. So, yeah, I never wanted it to end. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes there were somebody's one or two people. It's like, oh, God, when is the song going to come on? When is it going? <laughs> oh, you know. Yeah. So you say men and women. Is it you, were you with couples? Women is, would hire you as well? I only had one woman who hired me on her own. But most of the time, if it was a woman, it would usually be for her husband or for her boyfriend. Yeah. You know, come in with the couple. I love that. Like you said, most of the time it was a good experience. One time it wasn't and she got me out of there pretty fast. I don't know. She was like, all right, enough of this. Uh, <laughs> she grabbed her husband's dick. She panicked. And just, yeah, I don't know. She just like all of a sudden looked at me, grabbed her husband's dick, jerked him off really hard. He was done. She's like, bye. Here's your money. Go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Sefi, I'm just curious. I mean, you've been you've been doing this for a long time. How did this impact your your family life? I mean, do you have any kids? I have um, somebody that I adopted along the way. Mm. So yeah, mm. no, no, nobody knows. Nobody. That's why I use this pen name. Uh-huh. So uh, yeah, I never told anybody in my family. And the times that it did get out or a friend knew or something like that usually impacted me in a very bad way. Like people were, yeah. mm. I was ostracized or I was hurt or something like that. So really most mm. of the trouble I had in the world came from the real world and mostly from women, uh, which was interesting. Huh. Oh my gosh. Mostly if I stayed underground and I stayed secret, my life was great. Like it was just, you know, you could, there were mm-hmm. things you couldn't do. Like at a certain point, I no longer have a resume. Like I can't walk into a business and go, well, you know, I'm really good at business. And they're like, hey, what have you done? I'm like, well, I'm really good with people and give good head yeah. for a long time. <laughs> My <laughs> no, hands. Yeah, I, can't, I don't have another job I can transition into easily. So, so there are things you miss. Oh, also, Did- you can't date men. Because it's really, you know, what's the first question a man asks you is, what do you do for a living? And you go, well, you know, let's skip that question. How does that impact your love life in that case? I don't have one. I don't have one. Oh, no. Well, no, I don't know. I mean, I've had one in the past. And, you know, one time I dated a client and that turned into a long-term thing. Several times I dated clients. But after a while, I'm like, yeah, you know, men treat me so well in the business And once you're in the real world, somehow you become taken for granted and so forth. And um, and I don't feel Mm -hmm. I don't feel like it. I'm like, no, you know what? I don't feel like it. I feel like dealing with this on a temporary basis. You can deal with me on a temporary basis. Sounds good. And then I get to sleep by myself if I want to. (laughs) You know, I think in some ways it's a compromise, of course. 
but I think for me now, it's a better compromise. Unless I met, you know, the, my true love, and that was that, but I don't think that's gonna happen at this point. It happens, I didn't think it was gonna happen. But you know what, it's definitely not gonna happen if the door is uh, closed, and so. Maybe, maybe, maybe it'd be a good thing to come visit the hypnotherapist. I don't know. I don't believe that. I think that when we think it's not going to happen, that's when, because my door was closed. I never thought I'd meet a man who was going to marry me. And mm -hmm. even with, like she said, Sefi was saying with relationships, I dated my clients. Well, tell me, tell me how that happened. Yvette. How did you meet him? And so I always, I was the same as you. My sex work was my comfort zone. I was treated so kindly and, and, and like a queen all the time. And when I would date the men in the real world, it was not good. They were so fucked up and so jealous. And I always found the guys that pretended to be no, I never told anyone what I did ever, but pretended to be okay with who I was, who is wild and free and fun. And then they always want to change me. And then every relationship, I found myself having to change who I am to be in a relationship. So then I was miserable. And I had left this last relationship. It was god awful, disgusting. And I thought, I'm never getting married. I'm okay with that. I'm going to move back to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And a friend of mine didn't like a guy that I was sleeping with. And so he's like, what, you know, I have, would you wait till I introduce you to my homie? You know, I was like, and my husband's so not a homie type guy, but he was, that's what my friend called him. And, um, my husband had just had, he had had bad relationships as well. The women that he chose were abusive to him. And, um, so he had insecurities and I had my insecurities. And so I was like, let's meet. We did. We talked on the phone for a couple of days. He had been in Denver for a couple of months because of his breakup. He came back to Santa Fe. And on our first date, we just never left each other. At first, he said, we don't have enough in common to make this work. And I said, that's going to be our glue. I know that's what's going to keep us together because we can learn from each other. And I needed something different in my life. I was so tired of having been, you know, when you have everything in common with someone, you can't learn, you can't have fun. It's all the same shit. And to me, I found it quite boring. So my husband, his name is Lewis. He was very welcoming and open and had told me that he had thought about hiring girls just to make it easy on himself. I didn't tell him anything yet. But I had asked him, I was like, hey, have you ever been with, you know, to try to fill it out? And he said, yeah, I thought about hiring girls just to make it cheaper, he said, and easier because his ex-wives took a ton of money. Uh, and it, well, you know, it's devastating. His man worked hard and thought these women loved him and treated him like shit and yet took his money. And, and my husband's so kind and so sweet. And as I got to know him, I opened up to him about my work my what i've done in my life my decisions in my life and he said good for you he said and i was like oh this is really is this happening you know i'm still slowly telling him things and he knows that he's going to hear things that he doesn't that he's never known before from the show and he's totally comfortable with that but he believes that my past made me who i am and he's in love with me and That's so awesome. I get to finally have this fucking freedom, freedom of saying I was a sex worker and I had fun. And, you know, I'm I'm able to live my life 
in a comfortable way now. And I'm so grateful for him. And, you know, uh, and it's just here we are because my husband supports me in many ways to push me forward, to open up about my experiences. You know, it's, it's, it's a good thing. We have one fucking life. We're going to, you know, why can't I talk about what I've done and why can't I be who I want to be and, and be afraid of what people are going to think. And that's how we're raised, especially, I don't know how it is in other cultures, but Latina culture, it's like, you know, you're a mother, a housewife, you cook, you clean, you know, not saying that my grandmother's taught me that, but it's just the way the culture is. So everything around me, even my friends were having kids so young and, you know, uh, I could never tell a lot of my friends. I think like three of my friends who are gay guys know what I did. But my husband, you know, that's why I say I, I didn't think I was going to. And I think that when you're not looking, you'll find. I think that that special person will be there. You know, it's just about, I think you have to, you know, one bit thing that I did was when I got out of that last relationship, I kept blaming all the other relationships. Oh, they're dicks, they're this, they're that. You know, it's always everybody else's fault. And I had to really take a good look at myself and say, what the fuck am I doing wrong? Why is this happening to me? Nobody's doing it to me. I'm the one bringing it in and allowing it to happen and staying in the relationships. And then I started to notice all, you know, you say you have a type. Well, fuck, that's what I needed to change was my type. I kept going <laughs> after the same guy who kept, and they all kept doing the same shit, you know? So the best advice I can give to anyone out there is quit going for your type. If it hasn't worked for you yet or now, it never will. Stop going for your type and let someone else in. Allow yourself to have the freedom of experiencing something new, something beautiful, something kind. And yeah, so anyway, I can go on and on about my husband. He's fucking amazing. You know, I want to um, make sure that I state, though, that I think it's really important to realize, though, that if you have a certain stance, like I'm not going to find love, that it's very easy to even consciously, unconsciously do certain things like block yourself in certain ways, like not go out or not do certain things. And and in doing so, we end up blocking ourselves from from love. And so that's a possible limiting belief that I heard. And of course, I respect other people's opinions, but I just want to make sure I point that out, that we can really end up blocking ourselves from love if we have certain mindsets. I think that's very true. Obviously very true. I absolutely agree. And I I think that that's true about me for sure. I think at a certain point I got to a place and where I am right now could change next week. I don't know what it will, but um, where I got to a place where I was like, where am I? What's my priority? Where am I safe? Where do I feel good in my life? You know, time is limited. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, what do I want to focus on and who do I want in my realm and, you know, what takes care of me. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I prioritized writing and, um, you know, for a little while comedy and, and, this, and that sort of thing. But to, in order to do that, I have to still work. So I'm not free to meet people necessarily. And I really don't feel like fighting the world on it. You know, I like to sit and write my books and take them on this wonderful adventure and when when we're doing a podcast like this or a show like this it's so wonderful and important because it really changes the dialogue around what this is and eventually if enough people i think see this as what it is then we change the paradigm of thought about it you know like uh, we were talking about sex work uh, 
but I think it's more, it is, there is sex, of course. <laughs> That's what it is. But it's also, for me, the work of pleasure, love, and intimacy, much more so. Mm -hmm. So I like to think, I want to call myself a pleasure worker or an intimate worker, not for my own self, but so that I change their minds. Like your husband said to you when he met you, what's a girl like? Or no, Steve said to you, you know, you're like a girlfriend. So in his mind, he had one way that you were supposed to show up. And people mm -hmm. have us, you know, we show up as sluts or whores or prostitutes mm -hmm. or sex workers and strippers or whatever. And they put us all under this one big umbrella sex work, you know, and, and it's so different. Yeah. So just like everything else has different categories and there's different kind of hamburgers and different kind of dogs, you know, <laughs> there's all different kinds of people in this industry. So if we can unclump ourselves and make the vocabulary around it, I think a little bit clearer and give people stories that they go, oh, oh, I see what's different. You know, I see. Then there'll be more freedom maybe for somebody like me to walk into the real world and go, yeah, this is what I did. And this is, you know, how I supported myself. And yes, I was still looking for love. And, you know, can I, can I have that? Yeah. You know, right now I feel very Meeting limited. somebody that makes you comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel the real world kind of limits what I'm allowed to say and do. It, it, it can, and it does. I know I was there I, again, just meeting my husband and my husband, uh, you know, supports me and, I thought the same thing, dropped out of high school at an early age, um, basically got a fifth grade education because I had an abusive father that entered my life at a very young age. And my whole life was survival. Fuck. It was like, how am I going to live? How am I going to eat? Where am I going to sleep? What the fuck? Right. But I feel like in life, like I was already having sex at the age of 13. I wasn't getting paid. I was already having, you know, a ton of relationships and all I was getting was abuse, abuse. And with sex work, like you said, Sefi, you know, treated like a queen. And it really made me hire my standards for myself. And, you know, when I did meet my husband, I was scared because I met him in New Mexico and I couldn't make money there. There's no fucking money to be made in the sex work industry there. There's that I know of. And I, it's such a small city that I thought to myself, I got to get back to LA. Steve Bing, my honey is there. And I have other people that connect me to other people. And I told my husband after two weeks of dating, I was crying because I really liked him and I fell in love with him in two weeks. And I said, I'm going to be moving back to Los Angeles. I, and he started crying and he said, give him some time. He gave, gave him, uh, I think it was a day. And he asked me to please stay that he felt we could really make this work and that he would take care of me. And he understood my situation and he did. He paid for my house so I would feel comfortable, know that I still had my house. And I went on a, a modeling job. I was acting, I, I do some acting as well. I, I booked a show and I went and, and when I came home, I had a welcome home banner and he had moved all of my stuff into the house. So I didn't have the stress of moving my stuff and feeling like it was traumatic. And, you know, cause it is, you know, again, I was comfortable in my space and this is what I have and this is who I am and you can't take this away from me, but I allowed him to let me in. And, you know, I, I know that there's someone out there for you, Seth. Yes. You're beautiful and you're, and you're number one in everything, <laughs> no, you're you know? So you're, you're, 
I was a prince, and he was really a prince, and that's really wonderful. I haven't really had, um, I have had wonderful, wonderful clients that are treat me so beautiful, and I'm so grateful for them, uh, so grateful. And um, mm-hmm. so that's a great thing. I just haven't had that guy that I was in, in real life guy where I'm dating where he goes, you know what, let's... And I did have one a long time ago that he was like, let's get you out of this. And he paid for my apartment. And within about a year of us dating, he put me into, he was pissed off that I had this expensive apartment. It was costing him money. Put me back into a roach-infested place in Midtown. But by this time, I was so in love and I was already out of the business. You know, so I lost several years of, and my heart, you know, to Mm. this situation. That was just one of them. But I mean... You know, so it's not so easy to just trust somebody and saying, okay, as well, I'll be in your hands, you know. No, it's, it's nobody could do a better job than you, right? Taking care of yourself. That's how I yeah. saw it. Yeah, yeah, for you sure. You know, I, I wanted to ask you about being a mom in the business. And first, you know, I know you said you adopted your daughter. And is, was there just at some point you thought, I'm going to quit and raise a, a child? I'm going to adopt somebody yes. since I don't have someone? Yes. Is that how, like, I wanted to hear a little bit more well, about Well, you know, I had traveled a lot. I got to a place where when I was independent, I was traveling with my clients. So we'd go to Brazil or Argentina or here or there. And while yeah. he was working during the day, I would wander about. And of course, if you go to places like Brazil or Argentina, there's, you know, there's a lot of third world poverty that, you know, it's really horrifying and you know I was a little bit naive about how poor people could be I mean I knew people were poor but this was really scary sad and I thought well you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna take home a child from Brazil that's what I'll do <laughs> and but they wouldn't mm-hmm. let me <laughs> and so and also my client oh, right then and there just grab yeah, a was, child. Yeah, and my and the person I was with was like okay I went to dinner that night all dressed up you know because that's how I'm supposed to show up and I said we're gonna adopt a child and he's like no we're not you see no this is not the job and but I did go home and I did research it and I did apply as a single mom and I went through three years of paperwork and notaries and fingerprinting and all sorts of crazy stuff I finally adopted a little uh, girl from Guatemala uh, when she was one Mm -hmm. and I had a nanny and I was about you know you had to have an apartment and have everything in order and I quit and then within a year of me quitting well I had saved up a great deal towards this you know so that we would be okay for the rest of our lives till we died Mm -hmm. so every day that I went to work for those three years Mm -hmm. I had like everything that I was going to need and all these funds were filling up and I was like, we're going to be fine, you know? So I saved up a lot of money and the minute I got out, I was building us a little house in Florida and um, I hired a woman to help me take the house from nothing to turnkey. And while Mm -hmm. she was doing that, she stole every dime I ever made in my whole life. Oh no. In my life. Yeah. And that, and so within about a year she had taken everything and there was still a tiny oh my god yeah it's horrible and florida especially naples florida at that time or even now perhaps white collar crime was nothing and when we went to court i sued her when we went to court the lawyer the, the judge everyone sort of said to me well really what you're looking at is a whore versus thief and in this town oh my god yeah in this town probably thief is going to win you know so you might not, not want to have a trial. So we, we did have a mediation. And I did win about almost 800000 of it back. There was still 
a lot out there, but that's what we could prove on paper at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. uh, she was going to owe me the 800000 She did not pay it. She just got off of most of it. She put everything in other people's names. Like her car was in her daughter's name and her house was in her dad's name. And, you know, so it was no touching her. She was ordered to pay like 100000 of it. But by that point, I was sinking really fast. So, yeah, it was like... I planned, <laughs> but you know mm-hmm. how that... Yeah. So you had your daughter, and did, did you have your daughter... For how long did you have your daughter before this happened? Like Less than a year. No kidding. Yeah, no, wow. it was like... Ouch. It was great planning on my part, but horrible to hire this... You know, I just happened into the one person you should not... It felt like the Little Mermaid. <sighs> you know, like I ran across Ursula... The sea witch, mm-hmm. and I oh. and I was like, "What's the world's bad and has bad people in it? It's not Disney, mm-hmm. you know." <laughs> it was so stupid of me. Now, does your daughter know what you do? No, no, I would never. It's not that she couldn't know someday, and I am writing to her about it. It's just that she doesn't have the maturity, yeah, to be able to understand that it's not okay for everybody, and that the world is harder and. You know, she's not a, she doesn't have a mature mind to handle. Someday she will. She'll be a, a grown woman and she'll be able to wrap her mind around it. But, you know, right now I'd rather protect mm-hmm. her and keep her mm-hmm. safe. Yeah. Totally understandable. Now, Steffi, I'm really curious about the comedy aspect of your life. Tell us a little bit about your comedy and your writing. Okay. What comedy? Okay. Um. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I always did better in comedy, like... In comedies, because I looked funny. And so I always tended towards comedy. And also, when you're not the pretty girl, you know, you be funny. That's your that's your shtick, you know. So I, that was my shtick. The way I got into stand-up, though, is I'd been in our this business for a very long time. And like I said, I had no resume to get into anything in real life. And then the woman stole every dime I ever made. And suddenly mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no. So I thought, well, what do I really... Aside from suicide, what do I really want to do in my life? And I thought, you know, I still want to do what I did, which is write and act. And, you know, so I got to L.A. I moved to L.A. And I, you know, you don't just get on stage. You can't just be like, well, take me. Here I am. So I thought, what's one way I can get back and do all everything? And that was by doing stand-up because you can get on stage. So I wrote a stand-up kind of routine about being an escort and I thought it would be really like people would love it because it's out there you know and all these women and men talk about like men comedians are like talk about dicks and sex and assholes and fucking people and they demonstrate it on stage and they get you know people go oh yeah and women talk about vaginas and da 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 but when I talked I didn't have one dirty word in it not a swear word and people would come up afterwards and go you're really bold that's really daring. Or, or comedians wouldn't talk to me because of the, the subject matter. It was really strange how if the difference between their talking about sex, as long as you don't get paid, it's fine. So mm-hmm. apparently mm-hmm. mine was very risque, you know. So it was interesting to do because I think a lot of people liked it because they were surprised that somebody would come out and say and then talk about it in a really funny, self-deprecating way. I hope. I don't think I was a grand comedian yet because I didn't put enough hours into it. But at one point, I was at a mic and this woman named, um, I forgot, she's a a wonderful comedian. She is Hispanic and she was uh, a Latina and she was, that's part of the story because 
she was the headliner. And so I said my bit and she came up at the very end and she was corralling the audience and she goes, I mean, look at this white bitch. You know, she's like, she can make some money. So if I try to do it, I make half the price, half the price. (laughs) So it was, you know, but after the show, she came up to me and she said, that stuff, I hope you wrote a TV show or I hope you wrote a book because it's gold. You need to have it written down. And I thought, no, I haven't done any of that. And so it was a choice. It was like, do I spend all my time going, writing 40, you know, four jokes, takes 40 hours for me because I'm that way, going to these mics every night, or do I just take time out and write a book? So I thought, I'm just going to write the book because at least I'll have something to show, you know, after a year. So that's... And it's your story too, right? Somebody else can't take your material. Exactly. And this book, this book is only... (laughs) I had written so much and it was untamable. It was like herding cats, you know, it was impossible. So I had a wonderful coach I worked with named Emily and she said, why don't you just make this book, this first book, just your first six months in the business? And that really brought it all in because then I was like, okay, that's doable. Then it's just about how I got into it and was I going to survive it and was it going to be wonderful or was it going to be horrible you know and that's kind of enough for one book you know rather than trying to you know change the world darling you know <laughs> <laughs> one dick at a time yeah one one penis at a time that's how I built my house <laughs> you had a you you had a you had said something in your in your comedy act where it was like you built your house dick by brick <laughs> I did one time, and then I also it's had... It's so fucking true. I just, yeah. It's hilarious. you got to read her book. It's quite funny. Oh, I love the cover, you. by the way. It's cute. Thank you. It took us forever yeah. to get to that cover. And I've also heard people don't like the cover, too. So, yeah. Everybody, you know... What are you going to do? Everyone, it's like an a- assholes. Everyone has an opinion, right? right? That's right. Totally. Do you, be you. There's so much... You know, Steffi, it's funny. It's not funny. I want to say thank you, because you really helped me release some stuff, Uh, not only today on the show, but when when I first had contacted you about being a guest on my show because I loved your book and I loved your story. You know, there's some freedom that I have in my life now and being able to share my stories with you and compare them and not be judged. I appreciate women like you, you know, thank you. Thank you for being open and honest. And, you know, I, I hope that other women who hear our podcast can see how freedom from all of this shit that people put on us can really change your life and in many ways. And, and, and it's such a beautiful thing. So I just wanted to say thank you because Aww. I'm now that we're sitting here talking, I have so much, I'm like so many questions and all I want to do is talk about clients and sex. And I know we can't do that because <laughs> we don't have much time. And I, I would love to have you back on the show Aww. so we can thank you. You know, talk more no, about I'm, it. I'm really glad you said that, that thank you because yeah, you, you know, when you when you live in this vacuum or underground and then you go to put your story out there, I'll, there's so much fear around it. So it's so nice when okay. it's out there and you think, did, it, did I say what I wanted? Does it matter at all? And, and even if it just matters to one or two people and they say, you know, you helped me exhale, you know, and just feel less mm-hmm. shame. I mean, that's, then I'm really like, I did a good thing, you know? <laughs> You did a good thing. Did a my good husband, thing. I ran to my husband. I was like, you'll never guess who I just talked to. I was like, I, this woman, and she did what I did. And I get to, we talked for about an hour on the phone. And yeah. he was 
he just kind of chuckles at me and okay. <laughs> good for yeah, you. Sefi, it's been amazing having you with us today. Seriously, I mean, I would love for you to come back and join us again. <laughs> well, thank you for having yeah. me, you guys. Really, so I so appreciate it. it was so much fun. Okay. Okay, you guys, we had Sefi Haven with us just now, and she's still with us. And her book, My Horizontal Life, <laughs> an escort's tale. With a W. Because Amazon doesn't... Horizontal, like horizontal. Like horizontal, yeah. yeah. <laughs> w. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank with you. A w. And it is a really fun book. If you have any interest in knowing what the fuck we have, we have to do <laughs> to become great at having sex. No, I'm just kidding. And um, fun is guaranteed is in that book, by the way. There's <laughs> it is a lot of fun. It's Thank a lot you. of fun, for Aww. sure. You guys are sweet. Thank you. Thanks for listening and thank you to my guest co-host Sasha Carion and our guest Seppi Haven. Bodacious Minds is a production of Electrocast Media. Our executive producers are Mark Netter and Peter Rafelson. Our editor is Chris Sousa. I'm your host and producer Yvette Lopez. If you liked our show, please subscribe and give us a rating wherever you enjoy podcasts. And always remember, be smart, be sexy, own it. On the next episode of Bodacious Minds, join me in my intimate conversation with notorious Hollywood madam Heidi Fleiss about life and our dear departed friend millionaire Steve Bing, who proposed marriage to me years ago and recently took his own life. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. If you're a working professional wondering what's next for your career, you've come to the right place. Whether you're looking for a promotion, growth, or a potential career transition, look no further. With over 30 years working in a variety of industries, I share my insider knowledge with those ready to get ahead on Career Advancement with Craig Ansell. Tune in to get your strategies for success.